The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 122 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is Gentle Persuasive Approaches Program for Professional Caregivers, Family Caregiver Perspectives. Now, this is a particularly important topic because of the very long history of attitudes to mental illnesses that led to treatment of people with mental illnesses in ways that were unsympathetic, harsh, or even cruel, which is why it's so important to talk about modern attitudes to and modern treatment of mental illnesses. So, to talk about Gentle Persuasive Approaches Program for Professional Caregivers. Our guests today are Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McDonald. Now, Laurie, first of all, she holds the RN professional qualification and the PhD degree. She's Associate Professor, Associate Director, Scholarly Research and Creative Activities in the School of Nursing at Ryerson University, Toronto, Canada. She's Vice Chair, Advanced Gerontological Education. She's Chair, Gentle Persuasive Approaches Advisory Committee. She's President of the Gerontological Nursing Association of Ontario. She has extensive clinical background in the healthcare of older people and their families who are living with dementia. She's a researcher whose research focuses on the development of person-centered healthcare practices and policies aimed at helping point-of-care staff support older persons with dementia during episodes of responsive behavior. Amy is founder and CEO of Recreational Respite, Inc., a company which provides for creative living and innovative care. She, she took on the dedication and commitment to creating Recreational Respite, after she recognized the need in the community for supportive and inclusive environments for people with cognitive impairments, physical challenges, and developmental diversities. Her passion in the field of healthcare is united with a hands-on, educated, and expert background in personal support work, healthcare and business development, therapeutic recreation, health sciences, and gerontology. And she's also Director of Communications for Family Caregivers Unite. So, welcome to the show, Laurie and Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm going to start with Laurie 
first, please. Please just tell us a, a bit more about your background and career and how it actually brought you to Gentle Persuasive Approaches Program for Professional Caregivers. Laurie? Well, Gordon, um, as you mentioned, I'm a nurse with an advanced practice specialty in gerontology. That means the care of older people. And my focus is on what is called responsive behaviors that are often associated with older people who are living with dementias, such as Alzheimer's disease. And these behaviors can include calling out, wandering, wanting to leave to get to another place or a familiar place, choosing not to eat, and certain physical behaviors such as um, pinching or pushing someone away if the older person with um, cognitive impairment doesn't want a particular care act to take place. So really, they're asking the caregiver to stop. Um, so just as older adults with dementia become upset, worried, and frightened when they find themselves in a new or challenging situation, so do point-of-care staff become upset, worried, and frightened when they're not necessarily provided with education in their formal professional training programs on how to interact with older adults with cognitive impairments like Alzheimer's disease. So I became especially interested in coaching point-of-care staff such as registered nurses, registered practical nurses, healthcare aides, personal support workers, dietary aides, housekeeping staff on how to interact in their day-to-day work with the person with dementia who may be admitted to a long-term care home or to an acute care facility because their health has become compromised. Right. Amy, it's basically the same question. Please tell us more about your background and career and how it brought you to set up Recreational Respite Program. Sure. So my specialties and educational background is in gerontology as well, health sciences, and my hands-on and professional expertise is in neurological rehab and psychogeriatrics. Um, my passion is in people and uh, very much a caregiver advocate um, role. And recreational respite was really created to support those needs beyond companionship for those that are suffering from cognitive impairments like Alzheimer's disease, um, physical challenges, or developmental disorders. Right. Laurie, back to you. Please tell us about the Gentle Persuasive Approaches program for professional caregivers. Please give us a picture of what it actually involves. Laurie? Well, the the program is highly interactive. It is a day-long educational workshop that's delivered to point-of-care staff in their own work environment because we've learned that point-of-care staff do learn best when they're with their workmates so that they can talk about the, um, the, the older people that they're actually caring for in their, their own caseloads. Um, and this is a better way of training rather than taking people out of their uh, um, care uh, work environment and training them in a hotel conference room, for example, and then parachuting them back in um, to their own workplace and then expect them to actually transfer this new learning to what they're doing with their, the people in their care. So the program is divided into four modules, and it takes place um, from the early morning hours until probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon over one single day. 
and Module 1 focuses on how to deliver what we call person-centered care. Module 2 includes interactive exercises that help point-of-care staff really look at changes that occur in the brain as a result of cognitive impairments like Alzheimer's disease and how then this would impact on that older person's ability to do such things that we all take for granted, like eating, walking, speaking with someone else, bathing, and interpreting what is happening around them in in their environment. Module 3 includes specific strategies for enhancing communication and environments that older people with dementia um, uh, need modifications to communication strategies and environments. And Module 4 includes very specific strategies that point-of-care staff can use to intervene in a very respectful, gentle fashion if that older person is very upset and requires calming. And the workshop right. facilitators are are especially trained so that the point-of-care staff talk about best practices associated with caring for older adults and identify those practices that they can improve upon or enhance in some way. So we have very specific um, scripts and examples that can be tailored to the uh, people that those staff are actually working with in their long-term care facility or acute care um, floor. Right. Amy, tell us, please, about the Recreational Respite Program and the way that's delivered and what it it contains and how it's done. Sure. Well, very similar to the gentle persuasive approach um, and its techniques, it's all about engagement. It's all about successful engagement. So for us, what we are is a team of recreation therapists, and those are specifically skilled um, professionals uh, who are skilled in the ability to engage through sometimes challenging times, um, transition individuals into programs that are a good fit, help with integration to ensure inclusion for all. And often someone will say, well, what is recreation therapy exactly? And we always say, well, standard ter- therapies tend to treat illness. Uh, recreation therapy can aid to develop and maintain great well-being and quality of life. And it, it really does boil down to the successful engagement of these same individuals. Now, let me go back to Laurie. Um, Just about the question of behavior. Um, It was once explained to me that people with conditions like Alzheimer's disease lose the capability to actually say simple things that come normally to us. That is, they might not be able to say, my mouth hurts, and instead, they have to take on various behavior, which we would regard as being unproductive and abnormal, as a way, not of misbehaving, but as a way of trying to get a message across to us. Now, exactly. am I... Okay. Because it seems to me, then, that goes back to what Amy was talking about, and that is that sense of creating communication... Uh, Amy, with the, um, first of all, the uh, the people who are being cared for, but also with family caregivers. Um, is that the question of communication then central or important to what you do, Amy? Mm-hmm. Yes, most definitely. I mean, everything revolves around whether or not that individual is engaged in, in what it is that you're trying to achieve, what it is you're trying to do, um, what it is they're trying to do. So, yes, definitely. To back to you, Laurie, on this same point, that is, um, understanding the message, uh, 
that somebody is trying to convey to us where they don't have for any reason the normal methods of communication. Um, presumably this is something that the professionals who um, undertake your course are taught to deal with. Uh, and if so, how are they taught to deal with it? Well, you're raising an excellent point, and, and I agree with Amy that communication is the central piece to what it is that means exemplary, person-centered, gentle care. I think the key piece is that the person who uh, engages in our Gentle Persuasive Approaches program learns to look for the message behind the behavior, and also to identify what might be possible unmet needs, if you will. So you mentioned the example earlier of dental pain or pain in the mouth, and that if an older adult is sitting in a dining room of a nursing home or is in the ward of an acute care facility having been admitted and recovering from a fractured hip, for example, and they're choosing not to eat, we can't assume that that isn't a message that the person is trying to tell us. They either don't like the food or they're not hungry at that moment or they may be having pain in the mouth, pain in the stomach, and the um, uh, person delivering the care, the professional caregiver, needs to look very closely at what all of those things could be. Why, why is the person not wanting to eat? Why is the person pushing me away and not wanting me to touch their arm or their shoulder or wash their hair? There's, there's a reason, there's a, a meaning behind every behavior, and they're taught to look for what those meanings are. So communication. Now, talking of communication, it's time for us to take a short break. This is where I have to say we pay the rent. So this is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guests are Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. So are you connected to the meaning of your life? Are your relationships and career satisfying and fulfilling? How about your parenting? Are you feeling some challenges there? Listen for He Said, She Said every week with husband and wife, Jonathan Nadelman and Carrie Dino. In addition to being married and the parents of a spirited daughter, Carrie and Jonathan share over 40 years of clinical experience as psychotherapists and want to hear all about the challenges you're facing. He Said, She Said airs live Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email 
to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is Gentle Persuasive Approaches Program for Professional Caregivers, Family Caregiver Perspectives. So now let's talk about gentleness in caring. And starting with you, Amy, what have you learned from your work about the needs for gentleness in caring provided by family caregivers to family members? Amy? Well, I think it's a really good question because what it really comes down to is the approach. It's about the approach that we have with the individual. It's about the approach in in turn as to how we engage the family member, um, you know, empowering the family caregiver uh, or the family member or whoever's instrumental in this, in their loved one's care, empowering them with the tools that are most effective to communicate and engage with their loved one. That's really what we've learned um, is so important about the gentleness in caring as opposed to trying to um, come up with the conclusion ourselves. It really comes down to, um, you know, teaching them and showing them how to figure it out, if you will, through these types of approaches. Right. Laurie, what have you learned from your work about the need for gentleness in caring, the caring provided by professional caregivers to persons with mental illnesses, such as dementia? Well, we've, we've learned that the person with dementia, like Alzheimer's disease, are, are, these are all very deserving of respectful, gentle, humane care. And point-of-care staff, although not able to articulate sometimes what they do to operationalize gentle, humane care, are delivering this kind of care every day, and it is not a happy accident. They are frequently selecting very purposeful, effective strategies, and one of the most important things that they will tell us in research is that they need to know the person with dementia. And so when family caregivers of an older person with dementia who may be selecting a long-term care facility or considering what to do to help transition to an acute care facility for treatment of an illness, they need to look for such things and um, provide wonderful positive feedback when they see staff with smiling faces, um, using a sense of playfulness and humor. And they also need, as family members, to understand the degree to which point-of-care staff have access to ongoing education and staff development. We know that without a careful ongoing education program, staff become anxious and have difficulty delivering person-centered care. We know what person-centered care, we know when person-centered care is not being delivered. We see that with roughness, with bruising on an older person, with uh, punitive language being used. And now what we need to do is articulate for the public what it means to deliver person-centered care. We've also learned that frontline staff learn best when um, they have an opportunity to interact with each other and problem solve together. So, for example, I could stand up in a lecture hall with personal support workers, healthcare aides, or registered nurses and say, thou shalt not 
have news stories on the television in the dining room during meals because it is distracting to the intent, which is relaxation. Thou shalt play music. Um, that is, it, it, there's no meaning to it. There's no context to it. And so instead, what we do with our Gentle Persuasive Approaches program is have staff um, look at very specific um, uh, um, actions, um, and they can select them. And I tell a story to each other about what might happen if there were war movies on the TV lounge attached to the dining room. And they recognize, as a result of picking out um, the, the story to tell it from um, cues that are available to them, that the person with dementia would interpret that as soldiers being in the living room or in the dining room, and that if they had been captured as a prisoner of war, that they would find that terrifying and that they would need to get away from that environment. And so what do they think as care providers would happen? And they will be able to then identify, they will get up, they will leave, they will attempt to leave the dining room, they won't ingest enough calories, they will lose weight as an outcome, and they will be afraid of the dining room environment. And so then, rather than me telling them what they should do, they learn to apply it because they understand the impact on the client if they were to choose the the wrong approach, which would be war movies on the TV or news stories about war on the TV in the dining room. Right. Amy, in your program, Recreational Respite, what is gentleness? What, what do you mean by it and how do you include it in the caring Mm-hmm. Well, very similar to what Lori's talking about, the gentleness really comes from identifying the individuals as just that, is individuals. You know, what their abilities, what their strengths, what their interests are, and then being able to nurture that, in our case, in the best recreation-based program for them. So it really does come down to exactly that, getting to know that individual, what is their triggers, positive and negative. And, you know, I know that that's sometimes very difficult in an environment like long-term care or or a hospital setting or anywhere where there's multiple residents at once or multiple individuals. Um, but that's really how, how we, we include gentleness in our caring is that, that right. individualized approach. Laurie, I'm going to drill a little bit further down into what gentleness is and how it's included. Um, you've said a great deal about it, but I want to go a little bit further. Um, does gentleness mean always um, sort of agreeing to the things that the, the person wants? Does it mean, these are loaded, loaded questions, by the way, does it mean sort of giving up on the kind of everyday uh, routine that's necessary for a positive living and that kind of thing? How, in other words, uh, do you bring gentleness in without losing that sense of service and authority that's needed in situations like that. Lauren? Well, what an excellent question. I I just... The the passion um, for this program is is, is in, grounded in answering it. So I, I think the biggest thing is that one must always validate the emotional message behind what the person is saying. So an example would be if we had a, a, a resident in a long-term care setting who becomes so distressed, um, walks up to a co-resident and might deliver a slight blow with their purse because they believe that co-resident might have 
stolen something from them. Um, the, uh, um, the, the, the non-gentle approach would be to never, ever after, allow that older adult to carry the purse with them. And we understand that their identity is connected to that purse. They must carry that purse at all times because they always did that in their community. And so rather, um, the validation of emotion is uh, to help staff select the best response, which would be something like this. You're, you're so angry, you wanted to hit her with your purse. Tell me more about what happened to make you angry. The, that's the gentle response. The non-gentle response would be, um, uh, Mrs. Jones, you must never hit her with your purse. I must take that from you so that this environment is safe for everybody, which is, is not a person-centered interaction. So there are definitely ways of doing this. Um, and then helping the person become um, uh, uh, facilitated to, to understand that they're a partner in the care of the long-term care facility as well, encouraging them to dress themselves when they can instead of treating them like an object. These are all things. So, so if, if the organizational goal is to have everyone dressed and looking beautifully arranged in their clothing with makeup on, etc., um, that goal cannot sacrifice the person-centeredness of the delivery of that goal. And um, it's, it's absolutely critical that staff are given permission and are empowered to be flexible and to recognize that, oh, it may be for this person appearing wonderfully cared for is that their hair is combed today and that their their face is clean, but I'm not going to insist that they put the lipstick on today because they don't seem to want it by the behavior that they're engaging in, by pushing me away now at this point. I can do it later. Right. Flexibility. Now, I want to just come back to a kind of uh, an additional question. This is brief to both of you, but I think that family caregivers um, probably would welcome the kind of insights that you're talking about as a sort of training program for them. Now, this is a very leading question, but here it goes. And I'll start with Amy. What about family caregivers? Do you think they need programs of this kind of their own? And are there any efforts to do that? And that, Laurie, I'm going to ask you that same question in a moment too. But I'm afraid you only have about a minute each for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think that absolutely the caregivers themselves, family members, uh, anyone involved with you know these individuals, should definitely have this kind of training. Again, it's all about empowering them with techniques, and I find that sometimes that's the biggest challenge, um, and I could go on and on. Laurie, your turn. <laughs> oh, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. Um, definitely. Uh, family caregivers have wonderful strategies themselves that they've identified. And, and again, I would say the same thing for family caregivers goes as for professional caregivers, and that is exemplary dementia care in the home, in the community, is not a happy accident. Family members learn and, and develop their own strategies. For example, when the person who doesn't like to eat opens the refrigerator, they see um, when they do open, the family member has purposefully put snack-sized cheeses, crackers, uh, small fruit, um, yogurt containers, all at eye level with nothing else in that refrigerator but what's at that eye level on that shelf. And these are strategies that we've learned from research that family caregivers develop as well. Um, not only can 
Um, um, they learn from us, but we learn from them every day. So I guess what that comes to is um, family caregivers learning from their experience and learning from experts like you both. And this is, could be a question, but there isn't time for it. But just to say family caregivers get tired, exhausted, demoralized at times, worried, concerned, and therefore they too will have their moments where frustration takes over. And in that sense, um, they become uh, perhaps not not so much suffering from the same things that the people that they're providing for, but suffering the same communication difficulties, the same shortness of patience and that kind of thing. And so in that sense, just to support you both, to say that the more you can, I think, share your training experience and your research with family caregivers, the greater they're going to be helped. Now, as I say, unfortunately, you don't have a chance to respond to me on that one because we, we, have, to get, we have to go to the, to the break. So it is time for the break. This is uh, Dr. Gordon Adderley and my guests are Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is Gentle Persuasive Approaches Program for Professional Caregivers, Family Caregiver Perspectives. Now, there's a history, as I mentioned at the outset of this episode, of this uh, 
show of attitudes to mental illnesses that led to treatment in ways that were unsympathetic, harsh, or even cruel. And the comparison was particularly strong in the way that people with cancer were dealt with and sympathized with, whereas people who were in their own way just as sick with mental illnesses weren't so sympathetically treated. And I just have to say quickly that in the province of Ontario, there are currently possibly three, possibly four class action suits by patients and their family caregivers who were housed at government centers for persons with mental illnesses. So now let's talk about um, attitudes to mental illnesses. And starting with you, um, Amy, please, first, what are the modern attitudes to mental illnesses that you encounter in your recreational respite program? Well, I think we see some of the attitudes are still around crisis situations. So we're finding a lot of families that are still very much in crisis mode. Crisis mode meaning that they've been left sort of to make a split decision or last minute decision um, based on the drastic needs of their loved ones. Something has happened at home. They can no longer stay there. The family is left now to sort out where they're going to go from here, who's going to take care of them them who's going to um, uh, pick up the care and and so that's a real challenge um, and of course we're not proactive beings by nature but certainly we wish there was something more that we can do that's proactive in the community to help this certainly right Laurie same question the modern well, attitudes to mental illness that you encounter I think um, a, a, a couple of them um, I, I think that uh, what the gentle persuasive approaches program is pushing against is the myths and negative stereotyping that older people living with dementia have nothing to give. There's no potential for reciprocity or, or exchange between the caregiver, the professional caregiver, and, and the person with dementia. That they that this person with dementia cannot learn new things, and finally that the dementia. Um, uh, uh, profile can be managed best with a variety of psychotropic medications. The research would tell us, in fact, that the uh, impact of using medications uh, to control or extinguish behavior is only minimally helpful. And unfortunately, they have a large number of side effects. Um, and these can include things like uh, balance and walking problems that can lead to falls, swallowing difficulties, and further confusion, memory, and, and thinking problems. Therefore, it's very critical that point-of-care staff in both long-term care homes and in the acute care hospital sector develop a very large set of skills from which they can select purposefully so that they are delivering person-centered care. So here would be um, an example that I'm thinking about. Uh, let's say the person it becomes agitated, confused. Um, they've had some hip surgery. Um, they're a bit clouded in their thinking because they've had an anesthetic. Um, they wake up and their primary concern is that they need to look for their children. And this is a, a common um, experience for many acute care and long-term care staff, that they're trying to settle this person. Now, without this kind of training, frequently what happens is um, they, uh, the staff will respond with something like, don't worry about it, dear. Um, your children are all right. Someone's looking after them which 
invariably can serve to agitate the person with dementia even further because they feel that their concern has been dismissed. Um, they feel that they're not being listened to. Um, they feel ignored. Um, and sometimes they can even interpret it that the, the staff person is actually not remotely interested in helping them. Um, this can make them feel hopeless, depressed, and in some cases angry so that they crawl out of bed. Um, they may fall again. And these are the kinds of things that we try to avoid. So what we do with our gentle persuasive approaches program is take them through these kinds of examples and say, instead of selecting the response like, don't worry about it, dear, your children are okay, they would say something like, you're, you're looking for your children. They're missing you and you can't find them. I understand why you'd be so upset. That's validation. Then the next step is joining in. I'm looking for something too, so let's look together. And then let's look over there where people are listening to music. And then I really love this song. Would you like to sing along with me? So the idea is that it's always collaborative and it's never dismissive. And we've discovered from our research is if we skip the joining and the redirecting, and go from uh, your children are looking for you and you can't find them, I understand why you're so upset, and then say, would you like a cup of coffee? That, that reinforces the notion of dismissal. And um, we have learned that and, and are helping point-of-care staff learn that they must use all, all of the steps. Otherwise, um, and, and, and most importantly, they need to acknowledge the emotion behind the message and, and provide a practical dismissal distraction that isn't offered inappropriately, meaning too early. Right. Now, Amy, for you, how far, how fair would it be to say that your recreational respite program is involved in changing attitudes towards family caregivers who are caring for family members with mental illnesses? Well, there's a couple of things I want to address. First is the whole premise of our service, which provides both one-on-one -on -one support as well as unique group-based programs that are built specifically for the individuals that are taking part. So it's setting them up for successful environments um, and that's really important and we want to sh share that there are still significant members of their societies and communities and I want to give you a quick example of a client that we've worked with in the community very much related to what Lori's talking about but this individual was living in her home in her late 80s her husband was her primary caregiver she had become very suspicious very paranoid was not allowing anybody into the home to tend to her care needs to her medication needs to her cleaning needs etc and so what we did is went in on the premise that we were a friend of the family's new girlfriend. You know, we call that therapeutic fibbing. Um, but whatever works. And when we went in, I was able to identify that this woman had been an active volunteer for 25 years at the hospital, but also was a great baker. So volunteering and being a part of her community had been very crucial um, at, uh, right up until the point where she was becoming more severely cognitively impaired. The program that we designed for her was to bake her favorite baked goods and donate them to a day program once a week that we knew she could be a participant of. So our long-term goal here was to have her be engaged as a participant, but we needed to nurture that um, first, slowly, to get her involved in the community. So for us, it was all about the same kind of approach that Lori's talking about by way of individualizing it around this particular individual. And the long-term goals of that was that she ended up becoming a participant of the day program four days a week 
um, and no longer needed our services, which was fine, but her husband was able to get the support he needed and she was able to engage in what was successful for her. Fabulous. Laurie, Laurie how, far, how fair would it be to say that the Gentle Persuasive Approaches program is actually involved in changing attitudes to mental illnesses themselves? I, I think it's very fair. Uh, in long-term care and acute care facilities that have implemented GPA, we know that staff have improved in their confidence to deliver person-centered care, can provide very specific examples to us when we go back in and interview staff who have used um, the interactions they were taught in the program, where it's made a tremendous difference, even in emergency rooms, for example, when an older person um, comes across the doorway and they have a cognitive impairment as well as a physical illness cropping up. We, we know that rates of agitation are dropping in such facilities that have implemented a gentle persuasive approaches. And we know that the use of physical restraints has also reduced in organizations um, that are acute care facilities and in the past may have used physical restraint in order to quote unquote manage behavioral disturbances associated with dementia. So these are all very positive outcomes that contribute to an improved overall quality of life for older people. And I guess also, and you said it, um, the question of medication then changes. Medications are not as useful as they once were or the ones were believed to be, but instead we're looking at gentle persuasive approaches and, and approaches based on the kind of things you've been talking about. So in that sense, it's changing from a very medical kind of model to a much more social and interactive yes. model. Yes. Laurie, am I right in that? Yes, you are. And, and I would have to say that in many instances, uh, a medication being ordered is very appropriate, but just like in a younger population, and let's uh, look at depression, for example, we know outcomes are much more positive if there is a combination of medication with therapy and counseling. Um, we know the outcomes are better using that mixed approach, and I would say exactly the same case in dementia care and mental illness that involves older adults with, with behavioral um, issues, that but um, in this case, it's well-educated and gentle staff that take the place of counseling and therapy. And in some instances, in many instances, in fact, it's that communication style and the gentleness that will make all of the difference and that to use medication alone is inappropriate for, for these older adults. The, the, and, and as such, the well-educated staff person becomes like a prosthesis in the environment and can uh, accommodate, facilitate, and absolutely make a positive difference in the quality of life of the older person and their families. Right. Now, unfortunately, we have to go to the break again. Uh, this is Dr. Gordon Adler, and my guests are Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you're looking for answers and solutions, you don't have to look to expensive treatments, consultations, and methods. All you have to do is listen to your connections. Every week, the Dr. Melanie Show will teach you how to do just that. Dr. Melanie Barton will share her gifts and talents and teach you to do the same. And in doing so, find the solutions to the issues in your life that you truly need. You'll learn about holistic and practical health in six key areas. Discover the Dr. Melanie Show, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Are you happy with the management and leadership style of your organization? Do you think it could use some improvement? No matter the level of leadership at your organization, you'll be sure to learn something new when you tune in to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Through a unique lecture and interview format, we'll bring you ideas, questions, and answers that will help you run any organization, whether for-profit or not. Listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Laurie Schindel-Martin and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is Gentle Persuasive Approaches Program for Professional Caregivers, Family Caregiver Perspectives. So now let's talk about things that you both would like to see done to promote gentleness in caring for persons with mental health conditions and for their family caregivers. And starting with you, Amy, for persons with mental illnesses and their family caregivers, what more would you like to see done to promote gentleness in caring? Sure. Well, you know, my love and passion is in recreation, so I'd first have to say more meaningful engagement is so important and individualized approaches and very much the approach of GPA, gentle persuasive approach. I'd love to see more of that, not just in long-term care facilities, but in community-based settings as well. I think it's so important and just crucial for on so many levels for everybody, everybody involved in the care, in the care approach. Definitely. That's what I'd like to see. Okay. Laurie, same question. What would you like to see? I would like to see my, my dream, and I think it's something that we could realize, is to have this kind of uh, um, gentle persuasive approaches embedded in the curricula of all students in healthcare. Um, and that would include yes. social work, personal support worker programs, dietary aid programs, nutritional aid programs, um, dietitians, uh, everybody who is going to be engaging with older adults. And we know with the demographic of a growing population of older adults and the likelihood of older adults um, uh, uh, having an experience with dementia, either themselves or a very close loved one neighbor or friend, 
I think it's very critical that we begin to educate um, new and novice healthcare workers coming through the system. Um, I would also say that I think it's absolutely uh, critical as well that we move some of the things that, that Amy and I are both talking about here, recreation activities, etc., and knowledge about these kinds of gentle persuasive approaches into the acute care sector as well. And uh, we know that as the population is aging, that there will be more older adults who will enter the acute care system through the emergency rooms um, and uh, through uh, planned admissions for surgeries, etc., who will be at risk for a delirium, um, confusion related to anesthetic, etc. And so all the staff in, in acute care also require this kind of, of educational um, uh, communication strategies. Right. Laurie, just a quick question for you. You didn't include physicians. I was going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you are absolutely right. And when I say all healthcare providers, I'm meaning the the whole kit and caboodle. Even people like me. Even people like you, Gordon, who I have to say are very—you are very articulate, and you're—you're—you're you're, you're clearly understanding the key points of of this this major issue that that we're living with. And thank you. Now, Amy, again, for both of you, it's the same question. But, Amy, first of all, what's your message for family caregivers? Hmm. It's a good question. It's a big message. I think the challenge is, you know, I always want to say to them, get the support, be empowered to ask the question. If you don't know what the question is, ask what the question is. Um, I think what it comes back to, though, is again, yeah, exactly what Laurie just said is, is the healthcare professionals having the knowledge as to how to do this so that therefore it translates onto the family member. They see that the, the professional is engaging, you know, mom or dad in an appropriate way and it teaches them how to do it as well, if they don't already know. And we've sort of touched on that already. That's sometimes they're the professionals, really. Um, that's that's my message for them is just I'm a huge advocate for them. So um, to be advocates for themselves. Right. Laurie, what's your message for family caregivers? That to ask for resources that are helpful for them in terms of visiting with their loved one. Um, the program that uh, we've developed, Gentle Persuasive Approaches, has very specific uh, communication strategies that would be very useful for families. And I know that some of the work that Amy is doing with her respite care also could be highly useful for families. I hear frequently from families that their concern is that they're not exactly sure how to communicate and how to deal with some of the anxiety of the person that they may be visiting in a long-term care facility and acute care. And so families should demand, ask for these kinds of training programs from Alzheimer's Society chapters in, in Ontario and across Canada and the United States. They should have that expectation. I, I would say in, 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 in closing uh, my answer to your question, I would also say that families should do their homework with respect to um, what services are available and what staff development is in place in any long-term care facility that they may consider 
as an appropriate placement for a family member. And uh, they should um, uh, do a tour with those kinds of things in mind. Look at the faces of the staff. Are they happy? Are they smiling? And what kinds of very specific training interventions has the administration of that facility put in place in order to ensure continuing development of their staff? So, Laurie, it's a kind of due diligence, isn't it, for the mm-hmm. family caregivers? Yes, yes, I think so. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to respond to you both in this way to say that very recently the Healthcare Commission of Canada has, if I may use this language, suddenly become aware that family caregivers are actually important, that they matter not only to their families, but also to the healthcare system, because apart from anything else, they save the healthcare system a lot of money. So I'm not even going to ask you whether you agree with that, because I know you do from what you've been saying. But what I would like to just urge you both to do, and this is me getting on my high horse, saying that I hope very much that this change in attitude at the high level will bring about closer relationships, closer communications, um, better understanding of a two-way kind. That is to say, family caregivers exercise due diligence and the professional um, caregivers understand what the family caregivers are actually providing in the way of care and help. And so in that sense, the two-way communication, which is what you're also talking about with the people you're caring for with the mental illnesses, becomes more of a feature in, in, in modern healthcare than it has been in the past. Now, that's the end of my lecturing view, and I'm just going to finish off with a, just an anecdote that comes from a previous episode of, of Family Caregivers Unite, which uh, I think emphasizes all the points you've been making. And it's very straightforward. Here was um, a retired firefighter looking after his wife who was slipping down, had slipped a long way down the road of Alzheimer's disease. And um, they were, he was talking on air about their lives together, um, you know, and how they would very much enjoy dancing, how they'd been childhood sweethearts. And when he... Um, when the episode had been broadcast, you know, he listened to the recording along with his wife. When he started to talk on air about their early lives together, he paused and he said to me, because he called me about this, he said, she snuggled up to him. So the message that I feed back to you, which is the message that you've given to all of us, is that communications of a human kind are profoundly important because people do understand these fundamental things like memories. They may not understand them all and they may not remember them for very long, but at the same time they are there. And so the gentleness speaks to a profoundly important aspect of human work and communication. Sure. So I want, I want to say to to, first of all, to our listeners, thank you very much. I want to say a particular thank you to Laurie and to Amy for explaining the things so well that you do. And on behalf of everybody, I want to say all success to you. And that's not just a throwaway line. That's saying to you that you are the hope for the future because we know, don't we, that more and more conditions like dementia and Alzheimer's are looming large in the 
future of our community, of our population, of the North American population, and indeed around the world. So, what you do is fundamentally important. So, thank you both very much. All good wishes. Thank you. Thank you. And in our next episode, we're going to be talking about family doctors working with family caregivers. So, please join us. Same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.